You are listening to the Next Best Picture podcast, and this is our review of Space Jam A New Legacy. Basketball camp is next weekend. You got amazing potential on the court, and I can help you get there. It's not what I want, Dad. You never let me do what I want to do. You never let me just do me. Hold up, wrong floor. Bet Will Smith ain't got to deal with this. What in the Matrix hell? Welcome to the space. The space. The space. Welcome, King James. I am the king of this domain. This is the serververse. What'd you do to my son? Where's Dom? The only way you're getting your son back is if you and I play a little basketball. Pete, send this clown to the rejects. Wait. What is this? Ah! I'm a cartoon? What's up, Doc? Come on in, I need to assemble an elite team to help give my son back. I know what you're looking for. A dream team. Mom, shoot the ball. Let's try that again, shall we? King James. Welcome to the Space Jam. Introducing the Goon Squad. You gotta win this game. Let's end this. And get our son back. Yikes. <laughs> Classic. Welcome to the space camp. I'm going old school on his butt. All right, everybody, you were just listening to the trailer for Space Jam A New Legacy, and the story is as follows. Superstar LeBron James and his young son Dom get trapped in digital space by a rogue AI. To get home safely, LeBron teams up with Bugs Bunny, Daffy Duck, and the rest of the Looney Tunes gang for a high-stakes basketball game against the AI's digitized champions of the court, a powered-up roster called the Goon Squad. The film starring LeBron James, Don Cheadle, Chris Davis... Sonequa Martin-Green, Jeff Bergman, Eric Baza, and Zendaya. It is directed by Malcolm D. Lee, and it is written by Jewel Taylor, Tony Rettenmeyer, Keenan Kugler, Terrence Nance, Jesse Gordon, and Celeste Ballard. Here to join me today for this podcast review, I have Josh Parham. Hello, hello. And Daniel Howitt. Hello, everyone. Okay, so where to begin? (laughs) (laughs) Great question. Oh, this movie has been the bane of my existence uh, since I saw it this week. <laughs> um, okay, so a little bit of backstory here. Uh, the original Space Jam film came out in 1996. I was six years old. I was the perfect demographic for this movie. I remember 
begging my parents uh, to take me to the movies to see this, uh, like the little child that I was. I was in kindergarten at the time. And I loved this. I remember getting the VHS. I wore it out. I watched it a bunch of times. Did not understand half of the adult references. More than half, actually, might I add. I mean, Jesus, I went back and revisited uh, some of it recently, actually. And I was surprised at how much stuff flew over my head as a kid. But seeing a superstar like Michael Jordan interact with the Looney Tunes characters, characters that I grew up with watching Saturday morning cartoons and all. This was just such a treat in so many ways, the same way that something like Mary Poppins or Who Framed Roger Rabbit mixing live action with animation, that's something that has a great appeal to kids. So there's definitely a inherent piece of nostalgia for me personally with this kind of a formula. Here we are now, 25 years later. I am a much different human being at this point, <laughs> and I definitely am no longer the target demographic audience for this movie, but it feels very much like Space Jam New Legacy is trying to have its cake and eat it too in trying to target itself both towards kids and adults, and in doing so, it has created an extremely, extremely polarizing reaction from film critics to general audience members to just casual movie fans. It's a really, really tough film, I think, to crack down on in a lot of ways in that regard. Uh, but the general consensus seems to be it's not good. We all know it's not good. Come on, people. It's not good. We know this. But what else do we have to add for it as far as context goes and maybe what might have worked, what didn't work, what missed a mark altogether. So that's my context. I'm going to pass it over next to Daniel Howitt, especially because, Dan, you, you, you've got two kids at home right now. Did, did they did they watch this? They did not watch this. Uh, they are definitely too young for the movie. They're two years old. So so they're they're too young for Space Jam, uh, even if it was good. Um, but... Uh, I, you know, as much as, as much as kids these days are big fans of Mad Max Fury Road and the Matrix, um, <laughs> you know, I, I don't know, I don't want to shock people say that this movie doesn't feel, uh, feels, feels oddly, uh, aimed at its, at its audience. Um, man, where to begin? I, it, there's a, there's, there's, it's, it's hard to find like an entry point into my feelings on this movie, um. Matt, like you, I grew up with Space Jam. Um, I was I was four years old when it came out and just totally grew up watching it. I remember watching it all the time, loved it and revisited it as an adult maybe a year or two ago. And I still like it. I'm sorry. Everybody seems to have uh, uh, decided that Space Jam sucked then and sucks now. And I'm like, sorry, guys, I'm I'm still into it. The thing that works about the first Space Jam is that uh, yes, it was a stupid story and terrible acting, but it was funny. Like it was, it was, it was funny. It, it hit the market needed to hit by just being goofy, dumb fun. And that's where Space Jam: A New Legacy completely misses its mark. Um, I, I, I really want to say up front because lots of people are trashing this movie uh, since it feels like a, a long commercial for Warner Brothers. I, I want to say really clearly up front, I am not too good for shameless usage of ip i i'm i'm not over that like uh or too good for that like i I love the lego movie i love ready player one those types of things are great and they really work for me and so um i wasn't inherently like against 
using all of their properties, you know, in a shameless way, that's fine. But there are so, so many other reasons that I hate this movie that that being a commercial doesn't even really matter at that point. Uh, I, I, I don't know how a movie about the Looney Tunes stuffed with every property that Warner Brothers touches could be so downright boring. This movie is dull in every way. The plot is nonsense. There's there there's not even a cohesive plot to engage me. Uh, the, the Looney Tunes are there, and they're not even funny. They they felt like they were barely even used. Um, it was just so nonsense that instead of instead of the the great Looney Tunes humor that we usually get, they do stupid stuff like making Porky Pig rap as the notorious P I G. Like, come on. Like, that's that that joke wouldn't have been funny 20 years ago. I, I don't understand who thought that was a good idea. And even like the punchlines are just things like Daffy Duck saying, well, that just happened. Like, there's nothing clever here. It was just embarrassing to watch. So the movie, I, I really I'm going to I'm going to stop myself now because I, I could just keep ranting because I really hated this movie. It, it's dull. It's never funny. It's ugly. Stuff full of franchises and IP that they don't even use hardly. They don't use in any way that's remotely cool or interesting. So this was just a massive waste of time. And truthfully, it's one of the worst movies I've seen in a very long time. Josh Parham. <laughs> well, I also was not a very big fan of this movie. Uh, what's actually funny is that I did a double feature of this and the first Space Jam like in one sitting. And Oh, wow. Well, and the first one, because I hadn't seen it in a very, very long time, and I was curious if it was going to hold up at all. And I don't think it's a great movie, but it it wasn't terrible. I, I was afraid that it was going to be, like, really bad. I thought it was just, like, fine for what it was. There's something a lot more appealing being an adult and knowing who Bill Murray is than watching it as a kid and having no idea who this guy is. Well, yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And then, yeah, there are some jokes in it where it's like, okay, I get that now. Like when Bill Murray says in the first one, you know, oh, I know the producer. He got me into this. It's like, well, the producer was Ivan Reitman. So it's like, yeah. you don't know that as a kid. <laughs> but So there's like some clever things in the first movie. But this one... I just have to say I was so struck by how lazy the storytelling is, even for something like Space Jam. Most of it just feels like a copy of the first movie in terms of its story with just some tweaks here or there. And I, I do agree with Daniel. There's no real effort to make it kind of clever or actually funny and engaging. There's potential here for the story to be actually kind of more meta in terms of our relationship with IP. But Obviously, there is no attempt to really do that. All the gags are like the most basic things that you could possibly think of. They're making jokes that they would have made 20 years ago, and they're very stale. Yeah, it's to me, it is a movie that really exists for the corporate IP showcase, but it also doesn't really do anything intriguing with that premise either. And when you've got very ugly aesthetics and performances pretty much across the board that aren't that good either. It's like, there's nothing really here except to just shake like keys in front of you and hope that you remember that time. The keys were shaken in front of you 25 years ago. And that's not a good movie. That's not an engaging story. And it ends up resulting in a pretty terrible film. Do we all agree that the best thing about this movie is Don Cheadle? Uh, I'm I'm not sure if I'd be as generous to say the best thing about the movie, but I he is the only good performance 
Okay, good is generous too. He's the only coherent <laughs> performance in the movie. Uh, even even among people like Sinequa Martin Green, who is a great actress, everybody else is just terrible in this movie. I I, I don't disagree with that. I think Don Cheadle doesn't give a shit. <laughs> I think that seems to be pretty clear, <laughs> and I think that his persona of I am literally just going to show up on this green screen set and yell for like a couple hours. I wouldn't say that it was entertaining, but I think that that just speaks to Don Cheadle's abilities as just as just how good of an actor he is that I even though I don't feel like he's giving that much of an engaging performance, he seems to be just at least having his version of fun with it and of the very few things that you can look at as appealing in this movie, I guess you can say that is one of them. I, I think that's where I kind of fall into it all as well. Like he seems like he's having an absolute ball uh, with playing this character. And I think a lot of that comes through because he's acting opposite uh, LeBron James and like his son most of the time. And both of them are very stiff and wooden and not really animated at all in their performances. So I think it only makes him look better by comparison i i agree it's not a great performance or anything like that at all but every time that he was on screen i was like oh well at least don Cheadle is showing up right now to inject some energy and life into this thing because uh for a movie that mixes animation and live action together i was very awestruck by how visually ugly the movie looked at times and it was lacking that kind of energy that I felt like the first one even had in terms of its aesthetics. Um, I felt like the 2D animation was, believe it or not, this is going to sound very bizarre, but I actually thought the 2D animation in this version was a step down from the original. Like the original looks better to me, even though it's 25 years old. 100% agree. And I was like, how, how is that even possible? Um, but then they get the visual upgrade in the third act and they become uh, CGI Looney Tunes. And then I was thinking to myself, like, okay, this looks a little bit better. Like, the character designs look better. But the CGI background uh, with all the characters cheering on the game and stuff, that always looked horrendous. And there's, like, a million things happening, like, in every frame. It almost reminded me of, like, the George Lucas uh, Star Wars prequels, where every frame was just packed with visual content at a point that your brain was just melting looking at it. Um, so so I, I think this is all why every time Don Cheadle showed up, he kind of was able to rise above all of those visual aesthetics and the, the bad acting around him and stand out to me. I'm not, like I said, I'm not saying it's a great performance or anything like that, but it was like the one thing I felt like I was able to latch onto while watching this as okay, like everything else is bad, but when Don Cheadle shows up, I know I'm in good hands at least. I mean, I hate to say it because it's been overused as a meme so much, but you could say that he quote-unquote understood the assignment. You know? (laughs) And that's just, like I said, just speaks to how good of an actor Don Cheadle is, that he can take pretty much a nothing role with very confusing motivations. Like, I don't really understand okay. what his plan is. and <laughs> Yeah, what, the, what does he want? His motivation is that he wants respect and validation for his work. What is his work? As the algorithm. But it's like, I don't understand and why he feels that he has to kidnap LeBron James's son, hold him hostage, and have this basketball game with these stakes of, if I win, everybody has to now respect and acknowledge me. It's like... That doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense. Like he's in complete, apparently in complete control here. 
he kills himself essentially like he, there's <laughs> no there's no reason for him to offer the stakes of this game because he could just win without doing anything it just makes no sense guys his name is al g rhythm i'm filled with rage yeah and the thing about that too is i do feel that there was this meta quality to the storytelling of trying to unpack how algorithms are overtaking uh storytelling executive level decisions in hollywood today and the way that you know these uh, projects get greenlit and so on and so forth but in their effort to add any kind of commentary onto this subject the movie actually becomes kind of the poster child for yes. that very exact same thing and it's like Wow, you you you're calling attention to the fact that this stuff is inherently bad, but your movie is clearly representing that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Don Cheadle is. Let's be real; he is basically playing HBO Max. <laughs> like that. Yeah, that's his character. <laughs> that he is. And actually, like, if he really, like, literally was a streaming service, that would have been an actually interesting commentary to bring up within a studio movie. But because it is, it like flirts with that idea, but never interrogates it because how could you? You need people to still subscribe to HBO Max without fear of getting sucked into their television. But there's these interesting ideas that could come up with this meta commentary, but it doesn't go into that. So instead, yes, like you said, it just seems like it's endorsing all of its worst impulses and making it seem like it actually agrees with some of that while also making the plot make absolutely no sense. This is Krista Makes, guitarist and vocalist for Less Than Jake, and host of Krista Makes a Podcast, a songwriting podcast where every week I'm joined by an amazing guest to break down the writing, recording, and release of one iconic song from their career. In our giant, evergreen back catalog of episodes, we've had rock legends such as Dee Snyder and Huey Lewis, punk rock favorites like Mark Hoppus, Fat Mike, and Brett Gurowitz, and up-and-coming artists of today such as Liz Stokes of the Beths and Genesis Owusu. We've had guests from all genres and styles of music, and I guarantee that if you peruse our back catalog, you'll see several episodes that'll make you say, man, I gotta hear that. Whether you're a fan of music or a creator of music yourself, you'll take away a whole new appreciation for the songs you know and love. Chris Makes a Podcast is available for free on all the places you could possibly listen to podcasts. And new episodes come out every Monday. Greetings from Evergreen Podcasts. We're rolling out a listener survey and we want to hear from you. The information in the survey will help us gather statistics and in turn make our shows more appealing to advertisers. I know most people don't like ads, but this is one of the only ways our shows make money and help keep their lights on. We promise it will only take a few minutes, but the impact on our podcasts will be tremendous. As a token of our appreciation, we'll randomly select one lucky participant each month to win an exclusive merchandise package from Evergreen Podcasts. Head to evergreenpodcast.com slash listener survey to help a show and possibly get some free stuff for doing so. We can't thank you enough for the support. Now back to the show. Yeah, I feel like there's a version of this movie written by somebody much better um, that kind of in in a similar way. Not that this, this was a good movie, but uh, Dumbo, the, the Tim Burton Dumbo, how it was kind of like, whoa, this movie is kind of like insulting Disney and they're just kind of letting it happen. I feel like there's a version of this movie 
that that did that in a smart way where it was kind of like commenting on how Warner Brothers is overstuffing its movie with franchises and only looking for big things and and ignoring small properties and things like that but this this movie is never even close to smart enough to have any of that commentary now i mentioned earlier about how the movie is clearly targeted towards kids and (laughs) there are these references thrown in there though where they are clearly meant for adults so The film is trying to have its cake and eat it, too, by catering towards both audiences. And I feel that that is a losing combination here because of the fact that a lot of the storytelling is so pedestrian. It doesn't make sense. It's highly digestible for kids that adults are going to be turned off by it. Um, And the cinematography, the acting, just everything about uh, like pretty much almost every single decision about this movie is presented in a way that is not at all stimulating or challenging at all for a more sophisticated movie watcher. So instead, as a way to kind of grab us at this stage in our lives, they have all these references to classic movies in their library, inserting the Looney Tunes characters into them. We've seen, uh, you know, because of day and streaming uh, release uh, strategies now, we've seen clips of these pop up online, uh, even sometimes prior to watching the movie. And so I got to admit, there were times where I chuckled and I did kind of laugh at seeing, you know, Roadrunner Roadrunner and Wally Coyote uh, in Mad Max Fury Road, for example. I I was like, oh, okay, that's 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 pretty funny. I I will say I hated this movie so much. That was the singular scene in the movie that I laughed at. I I thought I thought putting Wally Coyote in Mad Max worked really well. And I thought that was great. Or like I didn't I didn't laugh at the actual punchline of uh, the Casablanca one, but when I saw the sign for Rick's Cafe, I was like, oh no! <laughs> like you know, like there were these moments of setup, and I, I I was kind of enjoying the playfulness of those scenes. They're like I said, they're bad, they're not good, but I was kind of admiring that the movie was doing you know this insertion of uh, the cartoon looney tunes characters into these classic movies and it, it doesn't like i said it doesn't like add anything really to the story it's not what it really represents is that shameful uh like ip i don't want you i don't want to call it propaganda but it almost is like a like a commercial or an advertisement for hey buy our content <laughs> yeah what, what, what was so frustrating about all of those sequences is they never even tried to make it make sense why the Looney Tunes characters were in these films. No, exactly. They just kind of said they left and went there. Let's go yep. get them. for it, some it, reason. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're, they didn't even try. Like I, I, I kept waiting for them to at least try to explain something, and they didn't even bother. Like literally, they didn't even make an effort. Wait, da- Daniel, they don't have time. Okay, this movie's almost two hours long, and it. Half of that is the freaking basketball game. They don't have time to explain this stuff. <laughs> I, I mean, like, that, and that's another, you know, fundamental problem as well, right? Is the pacing of the movie, I think, is pretty horrendous because of the fact that, I, I mean, I still can't believe that an hour of this movie was the basketball game. I thought for sure that that game would end early and there would be like a third act and something else would happen. But no, it is a full hour of that basketball game that 
you don't really have enough time to really do anything else. And this movie's already stretching it in terms of its length at this point. Like, I think it's, what, a full 25 minutes longer than the original? Yeah. Yeah, it's about a half an hour longer than the Oof. first movie. Yeah. And it's an hour of the game, which also means it's an hour until we get to the game with a lot mm-hmm. of very terrible, bad setup to that mm-hmm. story. Because they also... They kind of introduced this notion that, like, Bugs Bunny is going to go through some kind of an emotional journey, which I didn't really find that that was really properly set up to begin with. And then when we got there at the end of the movie, where it's like, oh, wait, I'm supposed to be, like, emotionally invested in something now? Like, you did absolutely zero work for me to get there. I mean, it's partly because, as I said before, this movie is basically the first film. The story is essentially the same with some tweaks here or there and it is just i was just struck by how lazy it is like those references that we brought up could have been fun if we spent more time with them but they really are just like one and done gags and they are i'm sorry but i found them to be pretty cringy to to be honest like when elmer fudd showed up as mini me i wanted to crawl out of my skin it it was was so bad yeah i'm with you Okay, so for final thoughts on Space Jam and New Legacy, anything that we did not touch on that you want to comment about, Josh? Uh, just a couple things. I do think that most of the performances aren't very good, but I have to admit that Chris Davis, who played Malik, I didn't think that he was like great comic relief, but I thought that for what he had to do in his handful of scenes was entertaining enough, not enough to, like, save the movie at all but there were like a couple instances where i kind of chuckled at what he was doing so i would want to shout him out like i said not doing great work but there's not a lot of great work going around in any member of this ensemble so you know kudos to him for that little bit and the other thing about this movie that i'm still struck with is i know that we were talking about like who the audience for this movie is and thinking that yeah it's for kids i really don't think that this is actually marketed really for kids i think it's marketed for the kids who knew the first movie and are nostalgic for it and because it is also a studio movie with animation in it there also has to be a market for the kids of today and i don't think it meshes that well at all i think that it feels like a hodgepodge of competing audiences of children today and also just people who have inherent nostalgia but it doesn't tap into really any smart avenues to please those audiences. So it just feels like the most surface level glossy version of this story that has absolutely no real effort put into it to justify a really intriguing sequel. Like I wanted there to be an acknowledgement of the first movie in this. Uh, yeah, I was very mm-hmm. surprised that they never acknowledged that. Well, well, guys, they did. They yeah. definitely well they do and they don't is the problem it's like they well like they make reference that they had a previous basketball game but they never mention yeah it's well they they have the cameo from michael jordan which was so weird uh obvious like you knew that that's yeah yeah no i i at first i I, to be honest with you i was kind of waiting for it because i actually thought it was really going to happen uh, but then once they were really setting it up and, you know, really playing with the reveal aspect, I was like, oh, it's going to be. And yep. and it was. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, like, that's just another thing where it's like it's somewhat interesting to have a Space Jam, Space Jam sequel that could acknowledge either the events of the first one or 
acknowledge that the first one was a movie would have right. been interesting too, but it doesn't do that. It like flirts with the idea just to be like, Hey, you remember the first space jam, but we're not going to do anything with it. And that's like, what's um, most frustrating um, about the movie. Imagine a funny sequence where they, one of the little planets, worlds, whatever that they go to is a space jam world with yeah. other Looney tunes. Like, and they have some sort of meta freak out because there's other versions of themselves or something stupid like that. Like even just me spitballing that, it's more interesting than anything that happens in this actual movie. Yeah, it's very lazy, and I think that's what's the worst thing about it, and also that it's not funny. Uh, yeah, it's not a good movie. <laughs> All right, Dingle Howitt? Yeah, my, I think my main gripe, well, I shouldn't say that. I have a lot of gripes with this movie, but uh, they, they push the Looney Tunes to the back seat. Um they are they are not the drivers of this movie like they were for the first one. Um, in the first film, like they had to do the game, they had to figure out how to you know fight for their own survival. Like it was it was their own movie, which makes their humor and their jokes and the the the, the dumb gags that they do front and center. And this one is the exact opposite. LeBron is the driver of this movie, and he's just so wooden and awkward. It just doesn't work. Um, so I felt I felt like the Looney Tunes were so weirdly underused in this movie. Um, give us a, a, a ridiculous movie that prioritizes fun and great Looney Tunes humor. I also feel like the Looney Tunes are old, right? Uh, I feel like trying to to put them in such a meta and modern uh, uh, type of uh, of plot kind of does a disservice to them. Um, I think that's why something like Looney Tunes Back in Action, which is not an amazing movie, but it's it's leaps and bounds better than this. It it works because it's kind of a throwback. And so I, I feel like that's that's the element that's missing here. This is just too attempting to be too modern for its own goods. So, yeah, I really hated this movie. Uh, only other final thoughts are uh, I thought it's funny that we get Space Jam 2 the same weekend. We get a movie called Roadrunner and a movie called Pig. Um, Jeez. Um, <laughs> Uh, yeah, and I am still just very confused as to why pretty much throughout the film, the only characters that we see from different Warner Brothers IP as they're like terribly in green screen cheering on the, the game are R-rated properties or properties that are like 50 plus years old. Like it just was so what a bizarre choice. What a strange choice to have the Drukes from Clockwork Orange and, you know, Mad Max characters and Pennywise and like it's just it was just so strange. I'm not quite sure whose decision that was. That was just very weird. And I know that this is just going to be a very personal me thing, but I I also was just annoyed when I saw stuff like Austin Powers and the mask show up because like that's new line. You didn't make that. Yeah, you bought them, but those are not <laughs> just because you own them doesn't mean you made those characters. <laughs> I I I gotta say though, there was a part of me that was amused that's the right word amused by seeing the night king next to pennywise next to the nun from ken russell's the devils you know and the movie doesn't do anything with it it's all just kind of like easter eggs throughout uh but yeah i i I, I'm, i'm sorry i'm sorry i'm not strong enough i'm sorry i'm not strong enough to say that i'm immune to this stuff um i i i chuckled at it you know and for what it's worth, even though I thought so many elements of the movie were bad, I was still kind of having this like wrestling match with myself throughout over 
wow, six-year-old me would have loved this. 31-year-old me really is not enjoying this at all. So I was trying to view it through a lens of, you know, as a kid, would I still be eating all of this up? And I think the answer is yes. And based on what I'm seeing, too, from the box office results and the uh, cinema score that this movie received, too, it seems that it is doing what it set out to do in that regard. Um, But at the same time, we do also have to grapple with, you know, the reality, which is there's such shame, shameless use of the IP in this movie to the point that um, it is promoting, I think, uh, the wrong message of corporate greed. And it, I, I do think, like I said, in the movie's attempt to make fun of itself, it's actually promoting itself. And yeah, it, it's just sending the wrong message in terms of the kind of stories that should be getting told ultimately at the end of the day here. I, I do I do agree with you, Matt. I left the theater thinking, I really hated this, but I do think kids are going to get a kick out of it. So, you know, I guess I guess that was the goal. You know, I mean, I guess I guess they accomplished that. This is more for kid meant more for kids than for me. So but also at the same time, though, look at how many kids movies we've reviewed on this show, even this year uh, alone and how they were able to strike a balance between being made for kids, but having adult sensibilities in their storytelling yeah for sure so yeah the movie definitely misses the mark in that regard um i i wrestled with this so so much because i i i gave like tom and jerry i think like a three out of ten uh but i enjoyed this ever so slightly more i'm and, and I still don't like I'm not positive on it, but, you know, I am just ever so forgiving because of that inner child in me. I'm giving it a week four out of ten. How it? What about you? Oh, I'm at a two out of ten. I I um I can't remember what I rated Tom and Jerry, but I do think it was better than this. This this had more going for it initially, like it had more reason to be better than Tom and Jerry did. But at least Tom and Jerry was a Tom and Jerry movie. Like, for all its faults, it was a Tom and Jerry movie. This one barely has the Looney Tunes in it. This movie doesn't know what it wants to be. Uh, I really hated it. And, yeah, it's a 2 two out of 10. Josh? I'm at a 3 out of 10. I really didn't like it. But I always feel like the 2s and 1s are stuff that I have, like, absolute vitriol for. Which, I'm not quite there. Like, it's really bad. But when it was over with, I was just annoyed and moved on it didn't really stay with me in terms of how like absolutely terrible it could be it's pretty bad i would not recommend it but i've seen worse all right and in terms of uh oscar potential for space jam a new legacy uh no (laughs) no yeah don't even don't even entertain that visual effects nonsense with me i don't care if daffy duck admits that he looks expensive in this movie no yeah completely agree i obviously visual effects is the only thing even that could be talked about but this movie is freaking ugly this movie is really ugly i don't even yeah i don't even think it's going to contend for the shortlist it's it's just it's just no good no i wouldn't be totally shocked if it was on like the 20 movie long list but even that i think is a stretch i don't see it getting too far and yeah that's the only category it could contend in and that is the best that it could hope for all right well that will do it here for our discussion on space jam and new legacy daniel howitt where can they find you on the internet 
You can find me on Twitter at HowitDK. Josh Parham. You can find me on Twitter at J.R. Parham. And you can find me at Next Best Picture. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening to our review of Space Jam A New Legacy here on the Next Best Picture podcast. We are proud to be part of the Evergreen Podcast Network, and you can subscribe to us anywhere where you subscribe to podcasts. Be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and let us know what you think of the show. We really appreciate your feedback and your support, which you can also lend on over at Patreon. For $1 minimum a month, you will get some exclusive podcast content from us. Thank you so much for listening. As always, we shall see you all next time. Hello, this is Gary Chahot welcoming you to check out the French History Podcast. Our main show covers the history of France from the first humans until present. If you liked Mike Duncan's The History of Rome and wanted a similar program covering the land of beauty, culture, and love, we are exactly that. We also host world-renowned scholars who have delivered guest episodes on their specialties, including 18th century pirates, revolutionary booksellers in 20th century Paris, the special friendship between the Marquis de Lafayette and Thomas Jefferson, and numerous others. Learn what you love and listen to the French History Podcast today.